0: Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the blessing of this day. Uh, We thank You that we can assemble as Your people on this Lord's Day. We're thankful for the freedom that we enjoy. We're thankful uh, for the fellowship and unity that we enjoy. And we're thankful that You teach us by Your Spirit through Your Word. And so we pray today as we dig into the Proverbs that Your Holy Spirit would guide and direct us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, just by, by quick way of review, uh, and a number of you have already contacted me this week and, and said how helpful this distinction was, so I, I'm thankful that we took the time last week to sort of lay the groundwork. Uh, but last week, uh, we made the distinction uh, asking what, the question, what is righteousness? And we made the distinction last week between experiential righteousness and legal judicial whoop judicial or positional righteousness So the distinction between positional righteousness and experiential righteousness. And can somebody, just in a nutshell, who was here last week, uh, tell us what the difference is between those two words? Experiential righteousness and positional righteousness. And while you're thinking, we'll start with the low-hanging fruit. So what is positional righteousness? That's right. That's our standing before God. Our standing in, in, and we are justified as righteous before a holy God by God's grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. And so, that is positional righteousness. So, what is experiential righteousness? That's right. That that is that is uh, how we live our lives. If 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 you say. I am positionally righteous, but have sinned. That that would be a a good distinction, although sin's not good, but that would be a distinction between the two, right? We can be right with God positionally, but we can sin because we're sinners. And we still, this side of glory, uh, still struggle with uh, our sinful flesh. And so we, we sin. So, as we move into the Proverbs, you, you may recall, well, what did I encourage you to do in understanding this distinction? Hey, you have a problem when Jude is the only one wanting to answer, right? He knows. He wants to tell us. You, you may recall that what we, we, we talked about was that if you read many of the Proverbs that we're going to study on righteousness as positional righteousness, you're going to come back with some really <laughs> whacked out understandings of the Proverbs. And so you have to understand that the Proverbs are not always, but typically referring to experiential righteousness And so last week we we dove in uh, answering the question, what are the characteristics of the righteous as compared to, for example, the wicked? And we started out last week, and and this is where we're going to pick up today. We started out last week uh, with uh, one of the characteristics of the righteous is they pursue... They pursue righteousness for the love of God. They pursue righteousness for the love of God. And we looked at Proverbs 15.9 that says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he, who lo- but he loves him who pursues righteousness. Uh, we are not always experientially righteous, but we are pursuing righteousness and that's a characteristic of the righteous the second area that we looked at is someone who speaks righteously doesn't mean that we always speak righteously but it means that our speech is characteristically defined by righteous speak. We looked at Proverbs 10:11, uh, 20 through 21, 31, and 32, all those from chapter 10. And so that's what we looked at last week. Where we left off from last week is number three. And so you should have your hand out in front of you uh, as we're working through this. Again, the question is, what are the characteristics of the righteous, conversely, Conversely, uh, the wicked, as compared to the wicked, and number three is is that the righteous is remembered. The righteous one is remembered, and by that we don't mean notoriously. They are remembered as a blessing. Proverbs ten six through seven, the memory of the righteous is a blessing. But the name of the wicked will rot. Uh, <laughs> so we'll start with the negative first. What does it mean, the, the name of the wicked? The of that person. Yeah, that, that who they are. So the, the name is, is to, to, to define who they are. And so who they are as a person. And then what does it mean will rot? What's that? Yeah, it's a, it's a poetic description, essentially saying that they're going to be forgotten in the sense that something rots, it decays, it goes back into the earth, and it is forgotten, no more. That's exactly right. They have infamous connotations associated with name like Hitler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. We're we're talking about in this sense of a remembrance as a blessing as opposed to a remembrance as notorious, right? I mean, for example, even our our Apostles' Creed, uh, who's the villain of the Apostles' Creed? You say it every Sunday, right? Pontius Pilate, right? So he goes down in history as being the authority uh, under which Uh, Christ was crucified, and so we're not talking about that. We're talking about to be remembered as a blessing from God. The memory of the righteous is a blessing. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing to think about. That is, I think about my my life, and I know that uh, only now in, in my 50s, I'm told that uh, as I advance uh, in age, that more and more you you have thoughts about legacy and, and how you'll be remembered, so forth and so on. And of course, there can be vanity in all of that. Uh, so I'm not talking about the vanity of a legacy, but... One of the greatest legacies that we can leave behind for our children and grandchildren is a memory of righteousness. For our family to remember that we were a man or a woman who feared the Lord and who walked in His righteousness. That's greater than any kind of blessing of wealth that can be left. Isn't that right? And so the memory of the righteous is a blessing. Number four. Yes? Yes. That's right. That, that would be a righteous word. Yes, yeah, so, so the righteousness of the righteous... Flows from their positional righteousness with God. And therefore, we think about this in the context of uh, this would be a, a great example and low-hanging fruit. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through ten. We're saved by God's grace through faith. It's not of our own merit, but according to to the gift of God, so forth and so on, and even our good works are gifts from God. God has even ordained those before the beginning of time, so forth and so on. And so, for those who are positionally righteous, our righteous works flow from that. And we'll also, and this is not part of the study, but it would uh, certainly carry on. Uh, I'm getting a crazy echo. Are you all hearing it out there? Okay, good. Good, because right here, everything is bouncing. Uh, I'm hearing myself twice. Uh, but... But from from the standpoint of eternity, we know that on Judgment Day, we will indeed be judged. But as we are positionally right with God, our standing with God is not determined based on our works of righteousness, but rather our righteous deeds do in fact encourage the rewards that we'll receive in the next life. And so in in that sense, the righteousness is attached to positional righteousness. However, as I've said before, many of the Proverbs you can take and insert them into a secular world and they work because that's how God has designed things. God's economy is precisely how He has designed things. And I've used this example, and I've, I'm, I'm going to come back to your question, J.D., but to chase a rabbit for just a second. So, for example, you, you, you think about um, the uh, uh, idea of, of giving to charity or of, of tithing. Um, there are, are pagans who have figured out that God, the way that God has designed things, if they will give, to charity, something that they're not getting back in return or anything like that, that uh, in return there's some form of blessing that comes to them by virtue of that, that sacrificial giving. That's often unexplainable, but even pagans have figured that out. That's because God has designed it that way. So, so coming back to your question, from the set standpoint of experiential righteousness, it's still righteous works. It, it is still defined as that which is right before God. In other words, uh, the, the rich young ruler could say to Jesus, all of these things I have done since my birth. Was he lying? I mean, he really thought... He, I mean, yeah, it could have been, but it's, it, the, the, the context does not lead to sarcasm. I mean, the, the, the context leads to a genuineness. And Jesus doesn't feel sorry for him because he's unrighteous and a liar. He feels sorry for him because of his blindness to his own self-righteousness. But the point is, is that he had. And those were righteous works. He had not murdered. He had not committed adultery. As far as he knew, he had not coveted, so forth and so on. So, does that help? Yeah, okay. It's a good distinction. All right, number four. The, another characteristic of the righteous is they rest secure. They rest secure. Proverbs 10, 29. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. Okay, now what's interesting about this song, This Uh, Proverb is the parallel pivots, not on two different clauses, but on one point. That is the stronghold of the Lord, right? So the stronghold of the Lord is, you can think about that as the, uh, if you've got something teetering, a plate teetering on a point, the point is the stronghold of the Lord and the plate teeters which way? Well, Tito's is a certain way for the righteous and a certain way for the wicked. So, it's important for us to understand what is, a, is the stronghold of the Lord or the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord is? Right living, right living that's it. Yeah, the, the way of the Lord is living life as He has designed it. Uh, again, back to, to J.D.'s uh, point, someone who absolutely rejects Christ but has chosen to follow the Christian way, the ethical way, so forth and so on, uh, there's going to be a blessing to that person. Uh, and again, you think about this, and, and I, I dare I digress into cultural commentary, Um but but so this this is this is sort of the, the the confusion within the evangelical world, right? Because we're we've moved from a, a, a sort of Christian ethic influenced culture to more of a postmodern culture. And so a lot of the things that many of us were benefited from in, in a culture that at least regarded a certain substance of the ways of the Lord, well that's forgotten or not even known for that matter uh, by and the next generation, and so it has a cultural impact, right? And so the one who can, in fact, live according to the Lord's way, well, it's, it's a benefit. They are benefited by Him, but this is the better question. Why is the way of the Lord destruction to evildoers? Why is the way of the Lord destruction to evildoers? Yeah. Yeah, in the sense of, of what he seeks to do, his plans are thwarted. His, you think about this in, in the sense of, of the Tower of Babel. Uh, you, you know, it, it's built and it's built and it's built, but it's not according to the way of the Lord. And so the Lord spreads out the people and the project is destroyed, so to speak, so forth and so on. Again, this gets back to one of the themes that we've talked about throughout the Proverbs is the way that God has designed things, the way that God has created things is exactly... How the world works. It doesn't mean that the world is going to agree with that, nor does it mean that the world is going to follow that, but it is as sure, the way of the Lord is as sure as gravity is. Number five, the righteous shows compassion. The righteous shows compassion. Whoever is this is Proverbs twelve ten. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. All right. So first of all, this is a proverb of contrast. Right. So what does it mean, or what is the what is the sage teaching us when he's talking about uh, the righteous regarding his animal, his pet, or his beast of burden, or whatever the case is? what's he teaching us there? That's right. Yeah. If, if if he's nice to his dog, imagine how nice he'll be to human beings. Now that's not always the case, is it? <laughs> but that's the contrast. That's the contrast, is he has, as as Chris said, the insert the word even. He even as regard for his animal. And so that gives you a picture into, uh, into who he is. But then look at the second half. But the mercy of the wicked is cruel. How is the mercy of the wicked cruel? Now, incidentally, there's not just one answer here. Uh, so I'm going to ask for just a few examples. What would be examples of how the mercy of the wicked is cruel? <laughs> well, it could be, yeah, that their version of mercy and mercy at all. <laughs> yeah, what else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so if you couldn't hear Shannon said an example would be abortion. It's justified as a as a mercy. This, this mother can't take care of the baby, or this mercy, or this mother you know can't afford the baby, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So therefore, it's a mercy to to execute the baby uh, and for the sake of of the mother. So forth. and again, I know there are a myriad of examples. That's a great example, uh, and and some of you may be thinking of others as well. Oftentimes, the mercy of the wicked is twisted. And that'd be a prime example of that, where the world sees it. And when we see this right now, right? I mean, this is, this is the air that we breathe in terms of, of course, the unborn child, but also in terms of family and the uh, marriage and, and so forth and so on. This is where we're living at the moment where definitions are twisted, so much so to the point uh, where someone will say, oh, it's, it's those Christians are the cruel ones yeah so I've already gotten this personally so I am an unloving person I am a bigoted pastor who is cruel and insensitive because I won't let people that truly love one another just love one another yeah not joking yeah Yeah, that is. Yeah, for the video's sake, the, the example was, was gender, or one, one of a certain sex. It's merciful to let them become the other gender, whatever they feel like that, in that moment in time, or whatever the, the case is. What, what's the sage say? He said it's actually the opposite. It's actually the wicked who have seemingly defined what they believe as merciful, that's the cruelty. And we, of course, we understand that. I mean, we we think, well, how cruel would it be? And of course, I think we're going to see the aftermath of this in the next decade. Uh, But how cruel would it be when, when one of these children wakes up and says, holy cow, I'm biologically a boy, now what? And um, yeah, and 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 that that is a cruelty uh, that we see by the hands of the wicked. So okay, we could go on, but the main point is is that the the righteous, in fact, shows compassion, and we might even say here that it is not compassion with quotation marks; it is compassion according to the word and way of the Lord. All right, number six. Uh, the righteous considers his neighbor's welfare his neighbor's welfare Proverbs 12:26 One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor but the way of the wicked leads them astray all right, so the one who is righteous, and in this, in this case, uh, this could be, if, if, you're, if you're trying here to distinguish between positional righteous and experiential righteous, uh, I suppose you could insert either one of them here, and I think the answer is still going to be the same. But nevertheless, uh, is a guide to his neighbor. What does it mean to be a guide to his neighbor? Yeah, that would, that, that would be an excellent point, especially in support of, of, of this being experiential righteousness. When people see us act in a righteous way, when people see us speak in a righteous way, so forth and so on, that serves as an example uh, to the world, right? Of one who is uh, being a guide. Someone says, that, that is noble character. I desire to, to live in, in that way. How else? How about trust? Can you trust someone who is consistently unrighteous in their speech and behavior? I mean, no one in here does. I mean, that's, that's the, whole, the whole joke, right? I mean, when, when you see someone that you don't trust by virtue of what they say... Everybody in the whole world can act like they trust that person, but they don't, do they? None of us do. None of us would trust someone with our lives uh, on someone who is demonstrating unrighteousness in their life. And so that gives us, helps us understand the parallel clause, the way of the wicked leads them astray. Those who may even claim to be righteous, who may want to represent themselves as righteous, who may deceive others to think that they're righteous, but ultimately the wicked is the one who will lie to us. They're the ones who will seek to, de- to lead us astray, to deceive us, so forth and so on. And so the characteristic of a righteous is one who guides his neighbor. He's trustworthy and he serves as a good example. Number seven... Hates falsehood. Hates falsehood. Proverbs 13.5 The righteous hates falsehood. Okay, we'll stop right there uh, because I do want to go into the second clause, but I want to look at it isolated from the first to help with the definition. What is falsehood? Because it's one of those words that we read, uh, especially in the ESV translation or the King James translation or similar translations. I'm pretty sure I've not used that word in quite a long time. Not in my consistent vocabulary. Uh, So what is a falsehood? It's a lie. That's exactly right. A a good or rather uh, the righteous hates falsehood and again the reason why that word is translated that way is the idea is that it is someone or a situation which it is characterized by untruth by lying and it doesn't have to be necessarily an active lie but it is it does have to be untrue and so the righteous hates falsehood in any frame form or fashion right so now look at the second clause. But the wicked bring shame and disgrace. Now this is this is a brilliant psalm, and I want to draw your attention to the verbs. So the first—it's not psalm. You can tell I'm preaching the psalms, can't you? So, oh people watching video, I'm doing sermon series on the psalms, and so you know, it's like when I was going through Romans, and I was constantly—I was, I think I was teaching Proverbs with, and I kept saying Paul says. Like, Paul wasn't even alive when these were written. Um, okay, so not the psalm, but the, the proverb, the sage, the writer of the proverb. Uh, he uses two different verbs. Note, the righteous hates. So, to hate is, is, uh, uh, it, it is to um, not, not desire, right? To reject an abomination, we would say, in the noun form. But look at the second one. The wicked... Brings. That's an action verb, right? If I bring you uh, a loaf of bread, I've tangibly given something to you. Here it is. I've brought you you bread. So, the righteous, it's an attitude. Note that to have a right attitude and to actually carry that out are two different things. In other words, and this is where it it becomes brilliant, the sage is telling us not only what the wicked does, but how far along they are on the path of wickedness, right? The, The wicked are way past the attitude. The wicked are not there going, I don't know, I'm not sure if I should bring shame and disgrace today. That was yesterday, right? No, they are way past that. They are actively involved in bringing shame and disgrace how would and again there's there's not just one answer to this how would a, the wicked bring shame and disgrace <clears throat> okay it's it's part of who they their character and so wherever they are this is what they bring right Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. This doesn't imply that they're in on, on the uh, discernment. Yeah. 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 Well, so it's like what we talked about last week. Remember, the sage is writing in absolutes. It's sort of like Jesus teaching with hyperbole. When, when Jesus says, if, if, if your, sin, your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Everybody raise both hands just real quickly. All right, so we've got, we got a room full of non-Christians. No, nobody's following Jesus, right? So when Jesus says that, does anybody think that He means literally cut off your hand? I don't think you do. I certainly know that he's not. So what is he doing? Well, he's teaching with hyperbole to create this strong distinction so that we can understand that everything from that extreme is teaching us about obedience, which is the same thing with the sage. So what what he's doing in the Proverbs is he's teaching with absolutes so that we, it's like what I said last week, and the reason why you want to understand the distinction between positional righteousness and experiential righteousness, when I understand that though I am positionally righteous in Christ before a holy God, yet I struggle with experiential righteousness, it means that when the sage is teaching me something about the absolute of the wicked, I may very well see a little bit of me there. I may very well do, do. Do I have characteristics when I am sinning that bring shame and disgrace to the party? Oh yeah, yeah I do. Now, do I consider myself characterized as the wicked? No, I, I, I don't. But because the sage is teaching in these absolutes. It helps us see glimpses. And the reality is, in terms of experiential righteousness, we, by God's grace, should see more of examples of ourselves on the righteous column than on the, the, the wicked column, right? But that's what the sage is doing there. He's writing in, in terms of absolutes. <clears throat> <clears throat> believers, whenever we stand on what God said, that is an absolute truth. Yeah. And so it's trying to make the entire world revel in the shame and the disgrace that we face. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. That is a a great point. Just within the definition that we've talked about, what Shannon said is just understanding there is absolute truth. There are absolutes according to to, to God. Uh, Murder is always murder. Adultery is always uh, adultery. Stealing is always stealing. Lying is always lying, so forth and so on. Uh, That in itself, uh, then one who doesn't share in those absolutes also heaps shame and disgrace. You know, I think about, for example, the the you, you used the example just a minute ago of of, of abortion and and, and, and the, the ironic thing is you'll you'll see proponents of abortion play both sides of that. You know, we're, we're, okay, well, it's merciful to, to uh, show mercy to this woman and say so we'll uh, abort the body, uh, the baby, rather, uh, and yet come right back around and have the same kind of shame and disgrace. Now, what do we do with the person's shame and disgrace? Well, I mean, don't kill the baby, right? And uh, so you, you, you're not able to tackle those difficult issues without absolute truths. Uh, incidentally, to, just to chase that, I'm a. No, no, we're not going to make it today. But to chase that rabbit, have have any of you uh, read uh, any of the um, uh, articles that have come out about uh, the guy that used to be uh, sort of the one of the top guys in the evangelical movement and the right to life movement that has now come back and taken a different position and said that he was wrong all along and. He was the, the controversy. If, 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 and I don't, I don't watch the news. I don't read the news. I don't keep up with the news. But I do uh, try to read long form essay to keep up with certain what I think is salient information in our culture. And the big issue has become the allegations that he had influenced one of our Supreme Court justices. And that had he not influenced the stream, Supreme Court justice, theoretically then uh, the reversal of Roe v. Wade wouldn't have happened. Um, you can Google this, I would imagine, and find more than you want to, to read on the, on the point. But what is fascinating to me about this issue is <clears throat> when you read, and he's written an op-ed for the New York Times, so you can, you can find that on the Internet. When you read his argumentation, the first thing that I immediately think of is you didn't believe in the absolute truth of life from the beginning. What you believed in was po- political manipulation and the coercion. And I don't think that you cared if it was on the side of Christ or the devil. You just thought, well, this is what we need to do to save babies and so we're going to lie, steal, and everything else that comes in the political realm because that means success. Woo! We, 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 we uh, overturned Roe v. Wade by lying, stealing, and doing everything that we could, which was sort of his, his position. And as it turns out now, well, he's got a guilty conscience. And he thinks that his guilty conscience, now I'm overstepping my bounds, right? So we'll probably get an email on this. But uh, now he thinks he, he, uh, his guilty conscience is as a result of not showing mercy to all those women who, who would have been allowed to have uh, aborted their babies. I think he's struggling with the fact that he wasn't rooted to begin with. I don't think he truly understood what he believed. And so now he's just all over the place. Yeah, no, I won't. Yeah. No, I'm done. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I told Susan Haynes the other day. I said uh, I'm I'm now reverting to only allowing the term evangelical to be used prior to 1900. You know, I can't can't, can't handle can handle 1970s and 80s evangelists. All right, so you'll probably get an email on that too. Um, okay, number eight. <clears throat> number eight. Uh, gives beyond his time and benefit, gives beyond his time and benefit. Yeah, I was struggling to come up with a word, one word or two words to define this. But look at the proverb, and you're going to see what I mean by this. A good man. So this is proverb's thirteen twenty-two. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Okay, so first understand what a proverb means before you can interpret it, right? So first of all, a good man... So are we talking about positional righteous or experiential righteous? Experiential, right? So, so someone who, who does good things, thinks in a right way, thinks righteously, seeks to, to, to live in a righteous way, leaves an inheritance to his children's children, which is his grandchildren, right? So... Does this mean that one who doesn't leave an inheritance for his grandchildren is not a good man? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that it has to be a material inheritance? Doesn't mean that either. Well, if it doesn't mean that, then what in the world does this proverb, this first clause, mean? A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. What does just that clause, in your words, how would you describe what that proverb means? And let me pause here for just a second. Let me remind you, proverbs are not promises, they're truisms. Right? So this, this, is, this is not a promise. So, so what does it mean? Okay. Okay. Okay, so one, one possibility is is that a heritage, uh, the greatest wealth, is the heritage uh, of, of the gospel, and that believing children begat believing children, so forth and so on, and, and caring for the covenantal promise that God gave to Abraham, and so we as offspring of Abraham, so forth and so on, right? But what else? What else in a snapshot? And I totally agree, that is the greatest inheritance that can be passed on. But there's a single truth here that this proverb actually means, and I think the word inheritance throws people. So if you need to change the word, change the word, because I think it causes people to miss what the, the proverb actually means. It means the righteous person is thinking beyond his current generation. You've heard me give the example of that we as Christians are to be good ancestors that's what that clause means it means that we are thinking beyond so what do i care about my grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren i'll be out of here i heard someone say before well i don't want to care what happens in the environment around here i'm going to be out of here when the rapture happens well if the rapture doesn't happen you're going to die but uh, I'm really concerned about your children's 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 children. How about that? This kind of reflects back to three. Yeah. To remember. Yeah. Yeah. Remembered as a righteous person, someone that, that is remembered for who they are and what they believe and how they live, right? And one of those characteristics is, is that we think beyond ourselves. In fact, we're thinking so beyond ourselves that we may be thinking about generations that have never come along yet. Our children's children, in this case, or it could be our children's children's children and so forth. So, a righteous person gives beyond his time, and what I mean by that is the era in which he lives, he gives beyond the era in which he lives. That's why the proverb is using the word inheritance. It's the idea of giving, of get, conveying wealth. Beyond his era in which he lives, and he gives beyond how it benefits him. Am I benefited when I give to my children? And they smile and they hug me and they say, Oh, Dad, I love you. And, and, and I, get, I get a lot of, of benefit from that. What about my children's 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 children? No benefit, right? Don't even know their names. Although I'm imagining one of them be named John. But (laughs) but, but beyond that, right? I didn't even know that. To think beyond the era in which we live, to think beyond how it's going to benefit us personally, and then look at the second clause. But a sinner's wealth, and so now the sage is playing off of the idea of inheritance, right? Inheritance, wealth, he's use, using that, to, to he's playing with that, so to speak, to teach us the truth. A sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. What does that mean? What is it, first of all, what does laid up mean? So a sinner gains wealth, and then where's that wealth go? Well, it is... It's stored somewhere, right? Yeah, so, so maybe it's a stock account. I don't know. But, but it's stored up somewhere. It's laid up. And what does the sage mean that it is laid up or stored up for the righteous? <laughs> well, to answer this, you have to go back and understand the first clause, don't you? you have to think beyond your current era and how it benefits you. Because when we think about inheritances and wealth, we think about ourselves. You got to think beyond that. So if that is beyond benefiting us in our time, so also we have to understand that the way God works is not on our timetable. In fact... There are example in Scripture after example after example where not everything works out the way it did for Job. We like Job. Well, we don't like Job at first, right? And when all the friends are giving their long soliloquies, we don't like it at all. But eventually we like Job, right? Why? Because in the end it's a happy story. He gets his wealth back, he gets more kids, so forth and so on. But that's not always the case, is it? There are persecuted Christians today in the world who will die in poverty and starvation and the only thing that they have is Christ and nothing else. That's the only wealth that they have. And yet, that which the wicked does by God's design will always lead to benefiting According to God's blessing, God's economy, God's way, always wins. God wins in the end, right? Even if it exceeds our era and our understanding, God wins. We've got to stop there. we're out of time. And uh, so we will pick up next week with number nine: God, the righteous gives sincerely. And um, yeah, we'll we'll pick up there. Yeah. I just want to say, when you said we don't like Job in the beginning, you're talking the book of Job. And yeah, yeah, I meant yeah. Self. No, no, we like Job. No, I meant the book of Job starts out with heartache and then the friends come along and it gets worse, right? But in the end it's a happy story. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of looking at your word topically. We thank you for the wisdom of the Proverbs. We pray that we would not merely be hearers of your word, but doers as well. And as we who, by God's grace, through faith in Christ, are positionally right with you, we pray that you would enable us and empower us by the power of your Holy Spirit to live as the righteous And that we would, as we study Your Word, we would see more of the characteristics of the righteous in our daily lives than the wicked. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.